Welcome to part three, week three of our breakthrough series. All right. And so where have we been? We've been looking at some things that if we practice them, if we get these things in our lives, we're going to see breakthrough. Because what we see a lot of times in the church is that people, especially here in America, are kind of living this apathetic Christian life where they just kind of go to church on Sundays, they go home and they live their life, and Jesus seems to not have any sort of impact whatsoever on the day-to-day, week-by-week operation of their life other than being in a church on a Sunday morning. And God doesn't want it that way. God has more in store for us in our lives than showing up at church on a Sunday morning, and we needed to find a way that we could break through that apathy, push through that apathy, so that we could get into the place where we're walking in the power and the presence of God on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis in our lives so that we can see, A, things different in our lives, so that we're just not going along saying, oh, whatever, but so that we can see a difference in our homes, in our communities, in our church, and everywhere else that we go to make a difference and make an impact because we want to see God do something significant through us here at FAM Church. So in order to see breakthrough, week one we talked about breaking through our expectations because a lot of us have expectations when we show up for church. The expectation is we're going to go out the same way we came in. It's going to be the same thing as it was the week before. And what we saw was that we need to come in here. We need to walk in this room with an expectation that God is up to something and he's going to do something big in the service. Expect him to do it. Then last week we talked about breakthrough in our worship. We looked at two separate incidences. Sorry, I got this wire running funny today. All right. We talked about two separate incidences. We looked at one event in the Old Testament and one event in the New Testament where worship was the catalyst for a powerful encounter with God. And the first thing we looked at was Jehoshaphat and his army marching out against the, uh, uh, the, 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 the army that had come against him. I can't remember what the army was right off the top of my head. But uh, he, they'd come out and they, this army had surrounded him and they were going to go and fight. And they weren't sure. It looked like they were going to be defeated because the forces against them were so strong and powerful. But instead of sending the army out to go in battle, the response from Jehoshaphat was, let's send, send the worship team out front and let's have them lead us into worship worship as we go into battle. And what we saw was as they headed out into worship, God set traps, God set snares, the enemy was defeated, the lines were broken through, and victory was achieved. And see, with us, when we come in here and we are ready to worship God, that should be our response as well. As we walk through those doors, we should be expecting this to be some sort of armed battle where we are trying to get pushed through and break through and and, and trying to break through the enemy lines to gain victory in our lives. Then the second thing that we looked at was the uh, uh, book of Acts and uh, Paul and Silas in prison and they were chained up and uh, one night as they began to worship in the middle of their cell, in the middle of their jail cell, the chains fell off. Everything, the, pris- the, the, the prison doors were open and all of the prisoners were set free. And so what, what we saw from this one was that worship has the power to break chains. But not just break chains off of our lives, but break chains off of the lives of those who don't even know God as well because all of the prisoners that were sitting in there had no clue about God, were not close to God, yet when Paul and Silas began to worship and God began to move, even those who did not know Christ were set free 
the chains were broken off of their life. And this is the opportunity that we have every Sunday morning when we walk in here and our worship team steps up on the stage. We have this opportunity to sing and worship and break through and set snares and traps for the enemy and beat the enemy and have breakthrough in our lives. See, there's power to break strongholds. There's power to break through the enemy lines. There's power to set ourselves free in worship. And it can ultimately transform our community. And so our second element in breakthrough was worship that expects breakthrough. So where are we headed this morning? All right, so I want to start off this morning. We're going to head into parents and children. Okay, all of us have experience in this area because we either, either A, are parents and children, or we are children. And so you're saying, well, what does this have to do with breakthrough? I think it'll become clear by the time we get to the end of our message what this has to do with breakthrough. But, you know, what are the things that we like about having kids, parents? Do we like it when we watch them slowly develop, you know, as they start off as babies laying there helpless and then the next thing you know they're they're picking their heads up and we're taking pictures and posting on Facebook, Junior picked up her head today, picked up his head today, you know, and then they go from from that to rolling over and it's like, you know, we're super excited, y'all, they rolled over, it's so amazing. And then we go from that to crawling and then to walking and then pretty soon they're getting into everything and they're curious about stuff. They're sticking everything in their mouth and eating it whether they should be or not. And, you know, watching this whole thing, watching our children kind of mature and grow and learn and experience, it's, it's an exciting thing, isn't it? Some of us, we, 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 what we find is exciting is our kids, man, they're, they're athletes and they play sports, Right? And so we love it when our son or our daughter gets up there in baseball or softball and they boom, hit a home run, right? Or, or they throw the winning touchdown pass. They catch a touchdown. Maybe they, they intercept the ball and take it back for a score. They hit that game-winning shot as the clock is winding down from behind the three-point arc. Whoosh! You know, we get this stuff. They score a goal in soccer. All of these things, we see them and we're like, oh man, raising kids is so awesome. You know, I see, not to point Desiree out, but yesterday, her two, two of her kids took home crowns in beauty contests. I mean, what? <laughs> That's the exciting stuff of raising kids. But what's the not so exciting stuff about raising kids? Oh boy, I heard all kinds of groaning there. When you tell them to clean their room, and four hours later, you go into said room, and it's still trashed, right? As a matter of fact, it may even look worse than when you told them to start cleaning their room. You know, you you, you told them that they needed to be home at 8 o'clock, and they come walking in the door at 9.30, 10, 10.30, 11, who knows, maybe they don't come home, whatever. You tell them throwing the baseball in the house is not a good plan. And you walk away and you come back and find your TV with a baseball in it. Or my favorite one is when you tell your child that a jump rope does not make a good zip line from the hanger in your closet to the dresser. 
And they do it anyway, and it's pulled over on, the dresser is pulled over on top of one of their other brothers, or I mean, on top of one of their other sisters. So, those are the kind of things that we look and go, ugh. And so with that, I'm going to be talking about a guy named Saul this morning. Uh, He was the king of Israel. He was the first king of Israel. And the events of his life are primarily found in the book of 1 Samuel, and so that's what we're going to be reading this morning. We're going to be in chapter 13, and 1 Samuel is the ninth book of the Old Testament, so if you start at Genesis and count forward nine books, there it is. If you're unable to find it, you don't have a Bible with you. Number one, if you need a Bible, we have them at our Fam Connections desk. You can stop by and get a brand new Bible today on your way out the door, but if you don't have anything with you, it's going to be on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. And uh, here's what it says. We're going to be reading uh, verses uh, 5 through 15 in 1 First Samuel chapter 13, and uh, here's what it says. It says, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They were up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 6,000. So what do we got? We got Saul and the armies of Israel gathered for battle against the Philistines and their army, and their army was one bad army. See, they had all of the latest weapons. They had all of the latest technology. They had everything that they needed to come and combat against any sort of military force that was out there. Plus, they had a ton of men, and and half of the battle sometimes is just having the amount of men to just fill holes and fill gaps and take uh, take on places and spots that, that, that openings occurred. And so the Israelite army was outmatched in every single way. And they did what every single army does when it's outmatched. They ran and they hid, right? Is that what, is that what uh, who's, our, who's our people who have actually fought in combat? Is that what you guys did when you went and fought in combat, ran and hid? No, no. But that's what the Israelite army did. They ran and hid, okay? And so the king, the king is a little concerned because when your army runs and hides and some of them take off, it makes you a little bit nervous, 
I mean, I would make me nervous if suddenly my troops just took off and went someplace else. And so uh, he knew, Saul the king knew, he was saying to himself, look, we're in trouble here. We need to do something. If God does not intervene, if God does not do something right now in this situation, I'm not going to have an army left to fight with. And so what does Saul do? He says, uh, he says you know what, i got to offer the sacrifice. I need to get God's presence here, and I need to get it here now. There was one problem with that, though. There was only one person who could offer the sacrifice. That was the priest. That was Samuel. That was the guy he was waiting for. But Saul was afraid. He was afraid that all of his troops were going to disappear. He was afraid that they were going to lose the battle. He was afraid that their country was going to be overrun by the Philistines. And so he decided to take matters into his own hand because he didn't want to be standing out there by himself And so he made the sacrifice to God. Well, just as he finishes the offering, Samuel the priest arrives. Of course, Samuel wants to know what's going on, what had just happened here. And Saul tells him, hey, I offered the sacrifice. And uh, uh, he didn't think... uh, it was like, I, hate, I, don't think you were gonna, I didn't think you were going to get here in time, dude. And so I just took care of business. Everything's good. Everything's nice. Everything's wonderful. And Samuel says, stop. Everything is not good. Everything is not nice. Everything is not wonderful. As a matter of fact, you are in a whole lot of trouble. You are in some deep doo-doo. Because God was about to establish you and your kingdom For all time over Israel, but because of your disobedience, that honor was removed from Saul and his family. And so here's what stands out to me. When you study what happened here, there's one little phrase that explains Saul's actions. And it's where King Saul says these words, I thought... You see, what happened was Saul thought that he knew better than God. Saul thought he needed to take action because God did not have a plan for this situation. Saul thought that he was going to uh, lose everything if he didn't do something different than God said. Saul thought that he played by different rules than everybody else in that society. He assumed that God would be okay with him going and making the sacrifice because desperate times call for desperate measures. But it doesn't matter the reason. I thought is the phrase that brought Saul's downfall and kept him from a huge breakthrough in his life. And I believe a big part of what is holding many people back in their walk with God is that too much of the time, instead of taking Jesus and God at his word, we stop, we look at the word, and we say, but I think. God says this, but you know what, God? This is what I think. God says that, but you know what, God, this is what I have to say about that. Why do we do that? I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons for that, and the first one is we think pretty highly about what we think, right? We're all smart people in this room, right? We all can make our own decisions in our life, right? 
And so what happens is that when we look at God and God speaks to us through something, he says something about how we are to live, how we are to do our life, how we are to be, we will stop and we'll say, well, God, that's really nice, but I'm really smart and I feel this way and I think this way. And so, God, I hear what you're saying, but I think this. And it's funny because we'll look at God's word. God is the one who created us. But we'll look at what God says and we'll go, God, that just doesn't make sense, man. That's not how I'm wired, God. That's not who I'm meant to be, God. It doesn't work like that. When God says, it's God saying it. I mean, we've never had our phones talk back to us, have we? No, you can't do that. When we tell our phone to do something, if as long as it's within the parameters of how the phone is supposed to operate, it does it because people created it and we're telling it what to do. But unfortunately, in the kingdom of God, God has created people who have their own thoughts, who have their own ideas, who have their own concepts, and so we go off and we think in situations and argue with God. And what's funny is, we won't do what God says, but then when things all fall apart because we did it our way, who do we blame? Oh, we blame God. God, what's your problem? The second thing, the reason I think that we do this, is because how we've defined love these days. See, I know modern-day parenting says that love means you bail your children out of every situation and circumstance and mess they get into. If they were supposed to clean their room before they headed to their friend's house, but they didn't get their room clean, we just let them go anyway because we love them and we don't want them to be sad. If a child doesn't want the food that was prepared for them at dinner time. There's some people who will make the McDonald's run to get them chicken nuggets or make a separate meal. That's not how God rolls. God, if we, if, if we go our own way and do our own thing, God will forgive us. However, he doesn't come in and then say, here, let me clean up the mess that you made because of this and take care of this all. See, what God does is he's like, all right, we've got a mess here. I will help you walk through it and take care of the mess. He's not going to go buy us nuggets, and he's not going to clean up our room. And then further, I think that being a follower of Jesus complicates this whole idea of I thought. Why? Because when we're Christians, suddenly we think the thoughts that we have are perfect because we're followers of Christ. It doesn't work that way, okay? We still have sinful thoughts. We still have thoughts that are out there, that are wacky, that are crazy, that are loopy, that are, that are way outside of God's realm. And you can see this playing out because there's some people that expect every single Christian should think the exact same thoughts. 
And for some things, yeah, I mean, if you don't believe that Jesus came and died for your sins and rose again, okay, we can talk about that. But when it gets into other areas of life is where we have issues. I know some people who homeschool, and this isn't beating up on homeschoolers, but they believe that if you don't homeschool your kids, you're not a true Christian. Because what Christian would send their kids to public school? You have the other view of when it comes to politics. If you vote for a certain party or if you vote for a certain candidate, you can't be a Christian because Jesus wouldn't have voted for them. Okay, why, what, what are we, did you talk to Jesus and did he say, listen, I'm not going to vote for them because they are whatever. But see, we do that and we think that everybody should have the same thoughts as we do. Or we'll think things like this. We'll say to ourselves, we'll look at our life and we'll look at obeying what God has to say and we'll, we'll come up with reasons as to why we can't do them. Well, God has said that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. Making disciples means telling people about Jesus. And we'll say, well, wait a minute, you know, that's all good, but I, I, I can't do it. Well, you know, that's for the evangelist. You know, the person with the evangelist gift, that's what they're supposed to do. It doesn't say in the text, if you're called to be an evangelist, you are to tell people about Jesus. It says in the text, if you are a follower of Christ, you will go and tell people about who Jesus is. See, in order to break through, we need to stop saying, I thought or I think when it comes to God and being obedient. We are not here to think we are here to listen and obey what God says. Success in the Christian life is really simple. Listen to God and his word and do what it says. That is the simple, the basic, the straightforward formula. Listen to God and his word and do what it says. There's so much pain in so many people's lives because instead of listening to God and his word and doing what it says, they go and do what they think should be done and it messes their life up. However, I will give you this warning. Listening to God and doing what he says will make us very uncomfortable. You see, Saul had all of these forces around him. He had his army that was hiding in fear. He had this army standing out there, and he knew that his army was getting very uncomfortable on waiting on God and waiting for them to do what God had called them to do. And so he went and he did the comfortable thing, the thing that would make him comfortable. And that's why he ended up in the spot that he was in. He could feel literally the pressure from the men and the army that were around him that he needed to do what was comfortable in order to get past this spot. And so that's what he did. So instead of letting things become really uncomfortable, he did what would make his army comfortable and he disobeyed God. And for many believers, we do the same thing as Saul. See, we opt for being comfortable versus being obedient. I mean, the reason that we do is pretty clear, right? I mean, everybody likes to be comfortable, don't we? 
I mean, if, the, if you had a choice between sitting on a stone bench or a cushy leather recliner, would anybody choose the stone bench? I think everybody would sink back into that recliner and just go, But we pull that over into our walk with God, and so we say things like, well, you know what? I'd rather be comfortable financially than make any sort of commitment to God financially because I need my money there in order to do the things that I want to do, to eat at the places I want to eat, to go on the vacations I want to go on. We'll do the same thing when it comes to telling people, oh, I can't tell people about Jesus because I don't want to be the weird guy. I don't want to be the weird girl at work. I don't want people to run when they see me because I'm talking about Jesus. And so we choose the comfortable route and we say, you know what? I'll just keep silent. I won't say anything. See, we won't get involved in ministry in the church because, well, what if I wake up on Sunday morning and I'm scheduled for something and I decide that I want to go do something else? I want to go to Disney today. I want to go to the beach today. I want to go do this or that today. And I'm scheduled at the church. Well, it'd be really, it's really uncomfortable to call someone and say, I won't be there because I'm going to the beach. And so it's just easier to say, you know what, it's much more comfortable to not get involved and not get engaged. The problem with that is that God has spoken and called each one of us into a ministry in the church to help reach people for Jesus. And so when we choose being comfortable over being uncomfortable, we're in essence saying, God, I'm choosing to disobey you. I'm choosing to disobey your word. I'm choosing to disobey everything that you've spoken. Following Jesus and obeying him is a very uncomfortable proposition. But if we want to break through into our lives, we need to embrace the uncomfort of saying yes to God and no to ourselves. Because when we're not willing to get uncomfortable for Jesus, we're sinning. See, we're setting up our own comfort as a God that we are giving more worship to than the God who saved us and delivered us. That's not a formula for breakthrough in anyone's life. Yes, God loves you. God wants to see you free. However, he, if he knows that a big part of the reason we're not free is because we don't think we need to be obedient, we're never going to see breakthrough in any area of our life. Now, I want to say this. Obedience to God is not about being good. Okay, Jesus didn't come to make us good people. This is the misunderstanding in the church today. Jesus came to make us live. You see, we were dead, okay? Dead. Dead. And Jesus, through his death on the cross, made us alive. We were dead in our sin. Jesus died so that we could live again. And so why do we hold back in obedience, in following him, when there's somebody who loves us so much that they died so that we could have life? Worship team, if you could come back. And so here's the choice. 
that all of us have. We have to choose between obedience and disobedience. We have to choose between comfort or being uncomfortable. We have to choose between what I think, what I like, or what God thinks and what God likes. No one up here, no one in here can make this decision for you. You're the one who needs to commit and say, you know what, God, I'm going to be obedient to you. I know that living my life my way, I haven't seen the breakthrough that I wanted to see. I haven't seen the power of God come and be encountered in my life the way I know that God wants me to encounter it. And so because of that, God, I want to break through And so I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to listen to your word. I'm going to do what your word says. I'm going to follow you and what you speak because I want breakthrough. I want the incredible life that you have for me more than I want the stuff that's keeping me from you.